0: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday to you and yours. Uh, We made it through another week. We have a fantastic show to end the work week. We're also going to have a Saturday show as well. Maybe a a couple pieces of content for you on Saturday, but we got a great show planned for you today. Me, you, and Steve Kim talking sports. Before I do any of that, though, I I want to tell you all, and I need to start reminding you all, You'll see me in the chat on the uh, live stream when we release this on YouTube, and you'll see me saying, hey, get the likes up. I'm not joking. I need you to get the likes up. It's a way of spreading our content. YouTube and its algorithms are really into likes, and that's how we build this fearless army. It's a small, tiny thing for you to do. A tiny, tiny thing for you to do. Wet your, you don't even gotta wet your finger. Just use your finger. Click the like button. We need to have two thousand likes on this show. That's how we spread this thing. That's how we become more popular. I'm asking you for a tiny, tiny favor. Hit the likes. Uh, the other thing I want. You know, what do you think about my new jacket? It's it's in the same line as you know these Adidas jackets I've been wearing. But you know someone came at me last night about my weight, and I was like, do you realize I'm wearing a 1X jacket? Do you realize the last time I wore a 1X anything, I was probably a newborn baby? I mean, I couldn't have been more than three months old the first time I put on a 1X jacket. So, I mean, my God, I deserve credit, uh, not scorn, uh, but anyway, what, what do you think of this new jacket? Uh, it's similar to the other, just a different color. Uh, I think I look good. I'm freshly shaved today too, so I look pretty good. Anyway, uh, leave the comment there while you're hitting the like button. Uh, leave a comment about you know my new jacket and you know the, these One X jackets I'm wearing from Adidas. I know some of you are upset about me support, still supporting Adidas after what they did to Kanye, but I still kind of like Adidas. Uh, all right, before we uh, get into conversation about Lamar Jackson and Eric Bieniemy and Aaron Rodgers coming out of the darkness, and I may throw a curveball at Steve Kim. I don't know if he's prepared for this, but Steve, I may have to ask you. There's a report that uh, Russell Wilson wanted Pete Carroll fired, and that's played a role in Russell Wilson getting uh, traded and getting embarrassed. Uh, I may ask Steve Kim that as well, but before I do any of that, I want to talk to you guys about our continuing relationship and collaboration with pre-born. You guys know that is not just my passion, that is our passion, helping pre-born save babies' lives. We do it by donating $28. $28 sponsors one ultrasound. Anytime a woman that's considering abortion, when she meets that baby through ultrasound, when she hears that heartbeat, when she sees that baby in her womb, she is like 75, 80% more likely to choose life. And so we support preborn because it's part of our mission here with the Blaze, with Fearless, with those of you in the Fearless Army. We realize that understanding the value of life inside the womb is critical and important to understanding how to treat life outside the womb. It starts with the mindset while the baby is in the womb. And that's why we are pro-life and we support Preborn. It's a great organization. You guys have heard Dan Steiner here on the show. All the money goes directly to ultrasounds. This isn't some big charity corporation that pays all these executives a bunch of money and only 20% of the money you donate goes to what the cause is. All the money goes to the cause. $140 sponsors five ultrasounds. I love getting the emails from those of you that are hearing this call and supporting life in the womb. Love to get those emails. Want them to keep coming in. I need you guys to go to your phones, pound 250. See the keyword, baby. That's one way to give. Or you can give the Jason Whitlock way, preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. This is where my ego does get involved. I want credit. I want this show. I want our Army to get credit for us support of preborn. Makes me feel good. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to admit that. I love getting your emails about preborn. Be a good, fearless soldier. Preborn.com slash Jason. Pound two five zero. Say the keyword, baby. Let's keep supporting preborn. They've saved more than two hundred thousand babies' lives last year. We're going to do it again uh, this year. And we're going to be responsible for 50,000 of those babies' lives saved right here with the Fearless Army. Thank you uh, for that. All right, let me uh, move on to uh, Lamar Jackson and Steve Kim. ESPN dropped a pretty good story. i got to give ESPN credit. It's pretty good. It's not great. Pretty good story on Lamar Jackson and the contract rift going on between Lamar and the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think the story is... A thousand percent honest and fair as it could be because everybody tiptoes around Lamar Jackson. He's a black NFL quarterback. Everybody has to uh, make sure they say all the right things or they get accused of racism if they're not totally in support of Lamar Jackson. I like Lamar Jackson. There's no one that can evaluate My words about Lamar Jackson over the past three, four or five years and say that I have a problem with Lamar Jackson. I love his attitude. He doesn't make excuses. But now that it's money time, we're starting to see a different version of Lamar Jackson. And if you read between the lines on this ESPN story that was written, the Baltimore Ravens, players, executives, coaches, close followers are starting to see a different Lamar Jackson it's not explicitly said in this article but there is an insinuation that Lamar set out that playoff game this past season and milked that injury this past season because he was upset about his contract situation and Lamar Jackson according to all reports and according to this story he wants the same guaranteed money as Deshaun Watson. And so Deshaun Watson, I I think, got $230 million guaranteed, all of it from the Cleveland Browns. In comparison, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray got about $120 and $130 million guaranteed. Patrick Mahomes did not get $230 million guaranteed. Only Deshaun Watson did. And that's because the Cleveland Browns are a stupid organization and poorly run and gave Deshaun Watson way too much guaranteed money. An astronomical amount of guaranteed money. And Deshaun Watson came there and in those final five, six games of the season completely wet the bed and made them look foolish for giving him that money. The Baltimore Ravens don't want to make that mistake. You got to remember the Cleveland Browns. Let me. When's the last time Cleveland Browns won a Super Bowl? Oh, they've never won a Super Bowl. Is that right? They really haven't done anything since Jim Brown retired. The Cleveland Browns are a dog doo doo organization, and I know that Cleveland moved and went to Baltimore. I, I get that and that the Baltimore Ravens are actually the original Cleveland Browns, but Cleveland just hasn't recovered. It, it just, it's not, it's not the same thing. It's, 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 it's Art Modell, uh, <laughs> Cleveland Brown, the ghost of Art Modell seems to be hovering over that Cleveland organization and they just haven't done anything and Baltimore has been a model organization winning two Super Bowls during the Ray Lewis era, fielding it John Harbaugh's been their coach for sixteen years. Baltimore sees itself. I'm not saying this is what they are, but this is how they see themselves now, as they we're like the Pittsburgh Steelers. We have a consistent philosophy. We stay with our head coach, and we win year in and year out by doing the smart things and by being patient and not making the kind of foolish decisions that the Haslam family has made with the Cleveland Browns. And so Cleveland does something stupid, and now Lamar Jackson's expectations have been elevated, and he's like, if... Deshaun Watson, with all those sexual assault allegations hanging over his head, can get 230 million guaranteed. He's never won the MVP. He's been in trouble, he's been an embarrassment. He was suspended for 11 games. I'm Lamar Jackson, how come I can't get that money? And Lamar doesn't have an agent. So Lamar's ego is tied up in this, and I think he's making a mistake, and after reading this article, I'm like, Baltimore has reached the point of the negotiation and the relationship where they've all, they've they they've mentally moved to a place where, like, you know what? I think I can do this without you. Men and women get this way in relationships a lot of times, you know, foolishly or you know, unwisely where, yeah, you know what? I've done the mental gymnastics in my head and I know what life would look like on the other side of this divorce and they're willing to go there. And that's where I think the Baltimore Ravens are willing to go. The problem is, I don't think anybody wants Lamar Jackson. That's not what's stated in this article. And when I say no one wants Lamar Jackson, it's because the price is too high. You're going to have to surrender two or three first-round draft picks to trade for Lamar Jackson, and then you're going to have to deal with his demands for a contract that's the same as Deshaun Watson. No one wants to make that deal. This thing has blown up In Baltimore's face. They got five solid years of production out of Lamar Jackson. They got the excitement. They got his MVP season. They got all that. And they got one playoff victory and no Super Bowl appearances. That might be as far as Lamar Jackson can take the Baltimore Ravens or any franchise. Baltimore was living the highlight. Oh, you took the black quarterback at the end of the first round when the rest of the racist NFL wouldn't take him. And you're great, Baltimore. And you, you, you're the model franchising. Oh my God, Ozzie Newsome, you're awesome. And John Harbaugh, you're awesome. Now, five years later, was it the greatest decision? You're dealing with a quarterback that wants an unbelievable amount of money. I believe they had a stat in there that he's missed 10 of Baltimore's last 22 games. Other teams around the NFL are sitting there saying, I don't want that. It's injured. It's beat up. It doesn't throw the ball that effectively. And so now everybody's taking a, now Greg Roman's gone from the toast to the, Greg Roman built an offense that exploits Lamar Jackson and everybody should do it. And Greg Roman's the greatest to now Greg Roman is fired, pushed out. And now he was the thing holding Lamar Jackson back. Was he? Was he? Are we sure about that? I'm not so sure. Uh, anyway, I wasn't planning on going that long. Let's bring uh, my main man, the Korean co sell Steve Kim, into this conversation. Uh, Steve, let's start with just a, a simple question. Do you think anybody wants Lamar Jackson at $230 million guaranteed and two or three first-round draft picks?
1: Well, I, I go back to what I think every young man or child has been told by their mom at certain points. Uh, Jason, if everyone jumped off the bridge, would you do it also? So in other words, (laughs) if, if the Cleveland Browns want to sign a quarterback who does not have the track record of Lamar, and that being Deshaun Watson, to this exorbitant contract with unbelievable terms that are very favorable to a very flawed player and individual, is that the new standard that everyone else has to live by? I don't think so. And I think that's the quandary here is that the Cleveland Browns have really set this unrealistic expectation or the bar that is so high, even by quarterback standards in today's game, that the other 31 franchises, they're probably all whispering, God, this is why these bums can't win. They're doing this. And so this is the the situation the Ravens and LJ have right now. In my view, there's no other team that fits and has built their style around a player quite like the Ravens for Lamar Jackson. As it relates to the Ravens as a franchise, I've said this before and I'll say it again, post-Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, he is the face of that franchise and there's an intrinsic value to it. I'm actually surprised that it's gotten to this point now where it looks like Jackson may not be a Raven. You're telling me cooler heads cannot prevail and that cannot come with the middle ground somewhere. But again, Jason, you pointed it out. That's kind of what happens when you don't have professional representation. Steve, you're dodging my question. What? I had
0: a very simple question. Because of the money, because of the draft picks, because of the offensive system overhaul you would have to do? Does any team even want Lamar Jackson?
1: Under those terms, okay, fine. I'm going to lay it out very simply. Four words, hell to the nah. That's simple. Your bad deal is your bad deal. It's not the rest of the league. And and again, I'll reiterate what I said. If that's the baseline, let's get a new baseline. There's your answer, Jason. If I am the Ravens, I still try to work out a deal that works for both parties. But Bill Polian once said this, and I, and I see a lot of groundswell of support from the media and fans basically acting as not managers, but fanagers advocating for give Lamar what he wanted. You know what this reminded me of? Remember about two, three years ago, everyone was shouting at the top of their lungs, give Dak his money. okay. Well, Jerry Jones capitulated, gave him every single dime that he wanted. How'd that work out? Now there seems to be some buyer's remorse. And the great Bill Polian once said, "Um, if you listen to the fans too much, you'll be sitting up there with them. The Ravens have got to show some organizational discipline and have a price and a threshold and do not cross it.
0: Cowboys made a mistake with Ezekiel Elliott. That hasn't worked out either. Right. And, and so there are, this isn't Lamar Jackson hate. I'm going to go a step further, Steve. And, and people, oh, you just hate. I do not hate Lamar Jackson. I'm glad that, that, that he turned into a terrific player during this five-year stretch. But, but Steve, I, I'm going to say this. There are tough, tough decisions organizations have to make. If 31 other teams don't want Lamar Jackson I don't think he makes sense for number 32 either. Not at the price he's looking yeah. for. I move on from Lamar Jackson. And, and, and I'm not even sure. I don't even want to give him what Russell Wilson and those guys got. The guy hasn't played in 10 of their last 22 games. Yeah. Right. All of these excuses about hey, we get a new offensive coordinator, he'll develop as a pass. Oh, he's never had a number one wide receiver. None of the receivers we've drafted on have been hits. There's a common denominator, and it's the quarterback. Lamar Jackson is a terrific run first quarterback who can throw a little bit. But look, Cam Newton had a window of greatness and then it became Cam Newton was okay, and then it became Cam Newton is no good, and voila, he's out of the league at, what, 33, 34 years old? I I don't know the exact age when quarterbacks are playing into their 40s. I think we may have reached Lamar Jackson's expiration date as a franchise quarterback.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but there's a term that I use, physical erosion. That style of quarterbacking ages differently than, let's say, Tom Brady or uh, Peyton Manning. I have a question for you, Jason, uh, since you brought him up. If you had to start a franchise right now at the respective stages of their career, so not everything is equal, who would you rather have starting for the next three, four years? Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson? Hmm. Who would you take?
0: I'm going to get killed for saying this, but I'd rather have Russell Wilson because I believe Russell Wilson is salvageable. I believe Russell Wilson is salvageable. As as a passer and as a quarterback, I think Peyton Manning, I mean Peyton Manning, Sean Sean Peyton is going to do wonders with Russell Wilson, and we're going to see Russell Wilson return to being a highly, highly effective Pro Bowl-level quarterback who can win you playoff games and take you to a Super Bowl. I, I just, I, I don't think Lamar huh. is ever going to become a great passer. And I think his days as a great runner are behind, or, or you know, the, the this huge difference-making runner are behind him. I don't think he's as good as Jalen Hurts. And I've, people are upset when you say that.
1: But he's <laughs> not Jalen Hurts. He's just not. Wait a minute. He doesn't have A.J. Brown. He doesn't have Devontae Smith. And the best offensive line in football. Let's be a little fair. By the way, I completely disagree. If we had to take both guys right now with everything else being equal, Lamar Jackson has much more- Lamar over yes. Russell Wilson. Yes. Yes, over Russell Weirdo. Because you want to talk about physical erosion. Look, I know there are some problems with the can't hack it offense. But he looked like a guy that was now staring down the pass rush. And you want to talk about a loss of athleticism and the willingness to put your body out there. Number three look like that. I'm just, I look, we could talk all we want about Lamar Jackson not being that speed merchant or twitchy athlete that he was two, three years ago. Jason, guess what? Neither is Wilson. Neither is Wilson. We've
0: talked about this guy and you've given us credit. We're the only guy to keep throwing his name out there. Oh, no, here we go. Russell <laughs> Wilson. Russell Wilson is capable of finishing up his career the exact same way as Rich Gannon finished up his (laughs) career. Russell Wilson could still play at that level and be a Rich Gannon-type quarterback, put him in the right system with the right coach, right offensive coordinator. And I think he's got that with Sean Payton. Trust me, Sean Payton is not, you have to overhaul your entire offense for Lamar Jackson. And, and 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 there's this myth that oh he's never had a great wide receiver, maybe he just never developed one. Maybe you know because Lamar likes to throw in between the hashes. He likes to throw into bigger windows than some of these other quarterbacks and so some of these out routes and things like that really aren't his deal. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, Jason, would, Russell Wilson's won a Super Bowl, been to another yeah. Super Bowl. You know, survived Jason, with Brian Schottenheimer as his offensive coordinator.
1: Jason, your faith is in Sean Payton. It's not in Russell Weirdo. Let's just come clean on that. And what I remember about Rich Gannon with John Gruden was that he was a pre- precise, timing passer who got the ball off on time, quickly. I mean, it was like machine-like when they were in rhythm. Has that ever been Russell Wilson's game where that back foot plants and he sets and he hits real quickly? I, I don't remember him doing that consistently. And I'm just telling you, he sailed a lot of balls and put his receivers in harm's way way too many times. I think you are underestimating, again, the physical erosion of that particular player. Uh, we'll see, though. This will be interesting to watch, Denver. Yeah, well, in this
0: we'll, you may be right. We'll see. Uh, let's let's move on, and I want to discuss Eric enemy. He had mm. his press conference in Washington. It's like, I, I believe he's the... <laughs> Do, do offensive coordinators have individual press conferences? That's interesting. Is that the new standard, <laughs> or is this only for Eric Bieniemy? You know, the guy the media has been carrying around for five years. But he had his press conference; it was a big deal. Let, let's let's watch and react to some of the things uh, Eric Bieniemy had to say. We'll play him one at a time, and then we'll react. Let's see the first one.
1: Eric Scott Abraham, ABC Seven. Welcome to Washington. Uh, you're Thank a competitor you. at the end of the day, player. Coach, you've gone through numerous interview processes over the years for various jobs. It didn't work out. How much is that serving as a motivator for you to to prove those naysayers wrongs, those doubters wrong that you can be a head coach down
2: the road and and lead an offense? So, and I'll keep saying this, right now I'm the, the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. Okay, being a head coach, that's something, if that's to happen, it'll take care of itself. We've had a great deal of success. We've we've went what, five straight AFC Championship games. Uh, Three out of four Super Bowls. Uh, Two out of those we won. So being the head coach right now it hasn't happened it's not anything that's going to impact me moving forward cuz the only thing i need to concern be concerned with it's what's important today today i got to be the best person that i can be i got to be the best coach that i can be and on top of that i got to get these guys in this building to learn to trust me to get to know me, but also understanding what the term accountability means. And so I have to be accountable to these men. All right. So all that stuff about being a head coach, we can talk about that next year sometime right now I'm focused on the job at hand.
1: Mm. Your reaction to that comment. I'm going to call him Eric Beethoven. He hit all the right notes. I know it's not a game, I know he has not gotten his first first down. I know they haven't scored their first touchdown. He won the press conference. Maybe he's in the process of reinventing the persona and the perception. And I also saw him respond to Shady McCoy's criticism of him. I thought it was perfect.
0: Hopefully we're going to get there. Do we have, do we not have that clip? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hold on. But, but before we play that clip, I want to respond. You're wrong. You don't know what you're uh, watching. You don't know what? what you're looking for. You're listening for the wrong thing. You you're not, You know what that answer was? That was a head what? coach's answer. What? He's the offensive coordinator. He didn't answer like an offensive coordinator. He answered like a head coach. And you're right. He's performing to be a head coach. He's, right. And he did. For, for, for he's, he's on a st- – again, they've hired him to improve their offense. He – is putting on a performance to show an NFL, hey, I can sound like a head coach. That's what that answer is about, about getting guys accountable and blah. That's what you hear from Dan Campbell. That's what you hear from Ron Rivera. That's what you hear from a head coach. There, he's there to draw up plays and to take Sam Howell to the next level. That's what he should be talking about, that I didn't really hear yesterday, but we'll watch some of these other clips. But since you took us there, let's play the Eric Biennemi, him responding to uh,
2: not, not the, to the uh, Shady McCoy criticism. Well, LaShawn McCoy is a future Hall of Fame runner, okay? Everybody's entitled to their own position, to their own uh, comments and how they feel. When it's all said and done with, I think that's all I have to say because he's entitled to his own opinion. That's well. life. Okay, you got good and you have bad, you know? It does not impact me in any way. Because mm. one thing that you learn when you're in this position, you have to learn to eliminate distractions, all right? My job is to focus on the now. Everything outside these walls has no impact on Eric Vietnemi moving forward.
0: Mm, 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 So, there you go. Mm, another mm. good head coaching answer. Go ahead. Oh, go man, ahead.
1: This, you know what? I, I'm going to call you Shady Whitlock. This, this – First of all, you said it yourself. When do coordinators get a press conference? Okay, so what is he supposed to do? Go Belichick and just say, well, you know, I'm just here for Cincinnati and uh, we're just going to prepare the offense and get – Look, he was put on stage. We know why that there is an agenda. But when you're asked certain questions, give a good answer. He helped the media. He's being media friendly. He's saying all the right things. I think there's a point – or no matter what he said and no matter how he handled it, Whitlock, you'd be all over him. Can we, can, you, can, you, can we at least get our first delay a game penalty on the first drive of the game a- before you <laughs> bury this guy? Good grief, Whitlock. I'm not burying him. Wow. I'm not burying him. I'm just
0: keeping what? it real because no one else will. You know what he should have said about Shady McCoy? What? It's like Shady McCoy was with the Kansas City Chiefs for a short period of time. I was there for the last five years, and I've been with Andy Reid for 10 years. There are countless players that I have coached that do not share Shady McCoy's opinion. I'm sorry that Shady McCoy, you know, didn't like me. He has a right to that opinion, but I have coached many guys, and I'm very uh, comfortable with my ability to lead an offense and to get guys to play at a high level. My style doesn't work for everybody, and clearly it didn't work for Shady McCoy, but Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, other players that I've worked with swear by me. Good luck to Shady McCoy. I hope yeah. he okay. continues to build a good TV career.
1: If you would have said That's the that... would Okay, if you would have gave that answer... There would have been a course of people saying, oh, look at him living off vicariously through other players, taking credit for Mahomes and Kelsey. You know what I would have liked to have seen, though? We need to create a machine. I would have liked to have seen a thought bubble over what he really thought of Shady McCoy. Because that, 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 then it would have been Bishop Amont, public the enemy. But again, he has to be corporate. He has to say certain things, even though they're not approved by Shady Whitlock. I mean, no matter what, if he would have zigged, you would have said he would have zagged. Come on. You're being completely unfair to a guy. Let's, play another, Let's okay, play another
0: clip. Let's play another clip. Let's play. You got me. I'm not being biased here. I'm just being honest. <laughs> play, the, play another clip.
2: But one thing in this profession you learn, comfort is the enemy of progress. Okay? Mm. So mm. when it's all said and done with, I don't like being comfortable. So I'm about accepting challenges and moving forward. So this presents a challenge to me. What's wrong with that? Not a
0: bad answer. Not, oh, okay. not a bad answer, but you, you know, it's it's still it's still performing for the head coaching deal. He's in Washington performing well, to be the head coach of another team. No, 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 no. The Redskins oh, I, are the commanders are gonna have buyer's remorse.
1: Go, well, ahead. go ahead. You know what? You ahead, may be right. You may be right, but with that said, there's a reason why he left the safe confines of Andy Reedville and Arrowhead Stadium, because we all said he needs to get on his own and run his own offense where we absolutely know that's your unit with your players. And you're right. There aren't a lot of other instances where a coordinator gets a whole press conference. Well, at that point, we know what we are prepping him for. And on that particular day, under that particular circumstance, you know what? Eric Bieniemy dialed up all the right plays. I like He it. left for the money,
0: Steve. It, it, he didn't leave... He didn't leave for the challenge. He left because they made it rain on him. These co- coordinators are now getting paid $3, $4, 5000000 okay. million dollars a year. I can't wait for them to reveal okay. how much money yeah. they're and spending you know on Eric
1: B. In the immortal words of Roy Hobbs, great movie, The Natural, hey, I like a buck as much as anyone else. He's allowed to be a capitalist, okay? There's nothing no, no, wrong with no that. No question.
0: Yeah. No question. But is that going to help him draw plays, okay, count that, the money, that-
2: Okay. <laughs> Is that going to help him draw a place? We'll, we will see. We will All right, let's see. play the final clip. I knew when I landed back in Kansas City what was in store. So I knew that it was time to to move on. So you're talking about the different waves of, uh, of emotions that I experienced. Just having that opportunity just to say goodbye to the players. Spending that time uh, throughout the parade of uh, – just feeling the emotions from the, the fans. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And this is why I'm here. <laughs> but one thing you guys have learned about me, yes, I'm a, I'm very appreciative and thankful and grateful for the opportunity that was presented. But on top of that, OK, when I knew I was getting on that plane, I knew exactly what was going to take place.
0: no mm. oh. <sighs> Uh, I'm going to tell you why he knew. I'm going to tell you why he knew. And uh, Steve, it's hard to follow the Kansas City Chiefs from out there in Los Angeles, having lived in Kansas City for 16 years, and followed the team for however long. Oh, my God, it's been 25. My mother moved to Kansas City in 1984. I've been following the Chiefs since 1984. (laughs) They tried to push him out the door last year. He was on a one-year contract. They wanted him to leave a year ago he had to go. He had. It's. He's too much of a distraction, too much of a conversation around him. That's why the Chiefs wanted him out the door. Andy Reid would have loved to have got him out the door and swindled someone into making him a head coach so that he get some extra draft picks out of it. They couldn't do it. Eric Bieniemy knew his time of, of riding on uh, Andy Reid's t- was over, and he had to go someplace else, and he got a big payday out of it, he will have a chance to prove himself as a coordinator. Because what I will say, he does, in this instance, sound like a head coach. Mm. The question is, can he draw up plays? Is he a legitimate offensive coordinator? And we're about to find out, and I've heard nothing yesterday It says, oh, this guy feels real comfortable. He can draw a place. He
1: doesn't. He feels real comfortable. He can be a head coach. You know, Whitlock, first of all, damn you. Not have the image of Andy Reid breastfeeding. Damn you, okay? (laughs) Second of all, you are obviously the enemy of the enemy. So I'm going to watch every commander's game very closely this year but I'm just going to say one thing. I'm going to wrap this particular part up like family feud to Eric. Manning. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. And let's get the mini camp. Let's get the, let's get the August and training camp, and let's see where this goes. I'm just, 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 just leave it at that.
0: But Andy right. Reed, you want to go not... good answer, good answer, good answer. I'm going to go Steve Harvey or who was it? Who was the Richard, who was the Richard Dawson? Oh, oh, Richard Dawson. Yeah. Richard Dawson. <laughs> uh, Survey says (laughs) ah, that big red X (laughs) on the board, bro. And so huddle back up and tell me when you can draw plays and and call them in a timely fashion every 40 seconds. Jason, very difficult. It's one of the hardest things to do in sports.
1: Jason's very simple. If Sam Howell becomes closer to Joe Theismann, he'll get a job. If he becomes, he Shuler, then he's been exposed. It's really that simple. Really that simple. No. Cause there's going to be this laundry list of excuses.
2: I'm with of, you. Well,
0: they're, Yeah. They're, look, I'm going to leave it alone because you and other people think I'm a hater and I'm really not trying to be a Mm -hmm. hater. And by the way, I'm calling an audible This is to the audience and to the I want to remind the audience right now. I need you hitting those likes. We need 2000 likes for this show. We need 2000 likes for every show moving forward. Do it it right now. I'm calling an audible on this show. You're going to hear from Delano and Royce White and Shamika in the second half of this show. It's not going to just be me, you and Steve Kim. Uh, I've called an audible. Steve, finally. uh, Aaron Rodgers has uh, emerged from the darkness retreat, and it's now time for him to uh, make a call on his future. And I'm going to connect it to our previous conversation. I'd love to see Washington go out and get Aaron Rodgers, and let's (laughs) really see what Eric is about.
1: You know what? I think Eric enemy would also like to see that. So maybe you guys do see eye to eye, because quite frankly, if I'm out on my own as a coordinator for the really the first time with Under the Shadow or out from Under the Shadow of Andy Reid, yeah, I'd rather have that guy than Sam Howell. There comes a point though with Aaron Rodgers. I know he's an odd character, but he's become kind of strange. And this is my biggest issue with him, and I'm a big fan. I think he's one of the best arm talent guys I have ever seen. But he has failed in this regard. He's not been a great leader in the offseason. He's got young receivers in Green Bay who may or may not be his teammates next year. But whoever his team is, can you just organize some stuff in the offseason that has something to do with football? And I don't mean an, a mandatory minicamp. Can you actually just throw to your receivers like a lot of other guys and run your own stuff and get in sync and get in rhythm with your new teammates? I'm not seeing that enough. I get it. You have other interests. You're an eclectic guy. You know what? I'd rather have Peyton Manning, who ate and slept and thought about football 365 days of the year. Can we get a little bit of that from Rogers? Can you give me a
0: prediction on where Aaron Rodgers is going to go? And and for you frustrate me and I, I toss you to the side the way I did Jimmy. You know people I'm are upset about me.
1: Niners. Niners. Because Brock Purdy's arm is all like whatever. And so maybe they need a quarterback, it fits loaded roster, and they could do a lot of things. Uh, Jason, those can I add one thing about your the thing that you talked about yesterday about the Alabama player who got caught up before we leave? All right, couple things. Yeah. Great column today, and you linked it to Boys in the Hood. You know what? You're right, but here's the difference. Um, Trey played by Cuba Gooding, actually said, "Let me out of the car. I'm not doing it. Yeah. This, this is actually – I was thinking about this yesterday during during the show that this is more like juice where Q and all the other homies got caught up by Bishop and remember Bishop said, you're afraid, you're scared. And everyone said, okay, okay, we'll rob the bodega and look what happened. And then remember at the end, Bishop went down and Q had the juice. I think this young man is more like Q than he is Trey. Trey actually got out of the car. Okay. The other point that you made, I thought and it reminded me of something. Let me stop old- there. Let me, let me stop you there. Don't
0: forget your second yeah. point, but yeah. let me stop you there. I've seen boys in the hood, let's say a half dozen times. Me too. I think uh-huh. I've only seen juice one and a half times, maybe twice. And, and so the, my point with comparing it to boys in the hood is that 30 years later, yeah, This is what Trey would have done. Now that this Mm. culture's fully taken hold, 30 years ago, Trey got out of the car and made it home to daddy. 30 years later, Brandon Miller didn't get out of the car. He actually drove the car and didn't get out of the way, but he wanted to. But anyway, go ahead with your other point. I do like the juice analogy, though.
1: It still sad me that Ricky Bobby took the wrong alley and there goes his Heisman career trophy at USC. Okay, now, the other one. (laughs) You mentioned about having certain influences either as players or ancillary figures around a program. You brought up John Thompson with Alonzo Mourning, right? He didn't like certain people around him. I, I I I remember a story, though. If you remember 1984... Georgetown beats Houston at the kingdom in the final four, right? That's when college basketball mattered. They had this player, Georgetown, he wore number 50 with the shaved head. His name is Michael Graham. Michael Graham. I him Mr. Mean, one of the most intimidating guys I've ever seen in my life. He scared the hell out of people. He got kicked off the team, never went to a sophomore year. In fact, he made the cover of sports illustrated for that championship game, dunking the ball. I still remember it. And John Thompson basically said, you're around the wrong people. I don't like who's around you. I don't like who you're cavorting with. This is not what we're going to do at Georgetown. And it was amazing that a guy looked like an NBA prospect. I never heard from him again, but John Thompson took it upon himself to say, Michael, we have standards here, and that includes the people you're around. And he jettisoned them. So it has happened. So when people say it's unrealistic, it wasn't with the great John Thompson. That's what should have happened to Darius Miles. That's what jo- should have happened to Darius Miles. Oats, Oats ain't John Thompson. There, are, there are no more John Thompsons, and that's another thing. There are no John Thompsons. God bless that All great right, man. Uh, st- Steve, I'm
0: gonna let you go. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get to my fire starter on Brandon Miller. I've had some additional thought. He, you've already previewed uh, part of it. I'm doing a little boys in the hood analogy uh, for my fire starter. Stay tuned for that. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth. this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture and
3: we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of
4: our children's bedrooms and they are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here.
3: Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
0: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone. Be confident in your position, and we're going to inspire you. We're going to eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's going to be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're going to put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. The Brandon Miller, Alabama basketball saga makes me think of the movie, Boys in the Hood. The 1991 coming of age story about three black boys growing up in South Central Los Angeles. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, Trey, lived with his father. Trey's two best friends, Ricky and Doughboy, lived with their single mother. Gangbangers shot and killed Ricky. Doughboy avenged his brother's murder, killing rival gang members. Trey originally attempted to participate in the revenge drive-by shooting, but hopped out of the car and returned home to his father. The movie climax when Doughboy, played by rapper Ice Cube, complained that American media don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's really going on in the hood. The University of Alabama is not the hood. It's a sprawling, beautiful college campus in Tuscaloosa. But Doughboy's sentiment applies. Corporate media don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's really going on in American culture. The culture killed Jamea Harris, the 25-year-old mother shot in the face after Brandon Miller drove a gun to the scene of a dispute between Harris' boyfriend, and the childhood friend of Miller's teammate, Darius Miles. The culture compelled Miller to make a terrible, tragic mistake. Corporate media, the music industry, Hollywood, ESPN, Fox Sports, and professional sports leagues have mainstreamed, normalized, celebrated, and imposed the gang culture depicted in the movie Boys in the Hood on young people, particularly black youth. If you criticize the destructive and deadly culture prescribed to kids, you'll be treated worse than an anti-vaxxer. You'll be labeled a racist or a sellout. There's no mystery as to why Brandon Miller made the wrong choice on January 15. The culture demanded that he do so or face excommunication from the black race. Black young men have been, have to be down for their boys or anything defined as black regardless of right and wrong. It's the same reason not one black NFL player was willing to publicly question the authenticity of Colin Kaepernick's social justice kneeling. Racial solidarity trumped the truth. Everyone, including white players, coaches, and executives, took a knee rather than point out the obvious, that Kaepernick's confusion over his mixed-race heritage caused his radicalization. Groupthink is gangthink. Groupthink is a byproduct of extreme social pressure to conform to whatever has been normalized. The NFL platform, the primary propagandists, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, for gang culture during the 2022 Super Bowl. Hip-hop music is piped in to virtually every stadium, arena, practice facility, and weight room in college and pro sports. Brandon Miller, a good kid from a good family, succumbed to the culture. He did exactly what we're programming kids to do. Hate the police, don't turn to law enforcement to fix a problem, solve dangerous disputes with handguns amongst yourselves. Miller would be labeled a punk if he had called the police rather than acquiesce to Miles' request for a gun. Men don't stand up anymore. Brandon Miller is really no different from Jerry Jones, who in 2017 took a knee before the national anthem with his Cowboys players. Miller's no different than Roger Goodell and Adam Silver, the commissioners who splattered their fields, courts, and uniforms with the Marxist slogans of Black Lives Matter. Idolatry rules America. Racial idolatry is the culture's weapon of mass destruction. Corporate America and the Silicon Valley controlled social media algorithms forbid objection to whatever degeneracy is classified as black culture. Brandon Miller is a great kid from a great family. He's trapped in the destructive culture we created and continue to tolerate. We've been watching grown men fold, bow, and submit to this toxic culture for the last decade. Many of the journalists and broadcasters criticizing Miller had and have no problem worshiping at the altar of St. George Floyd. NFL owners have turned over millions of dollars to an inspired change criminal justice reform movement that demonizes law enforcement and formulates sob stories for career criminals. America is doing something wrong when the mistakes of criminals warrant an abundance of compassion and the errors of good people are unforgivable. What happened to Miller, the star of Alabama's second ranked basketball team, makes perfect sense in modern American culture. The six foot nine freshman forward, a likely NBA lottery pick, followed the lead of professional athletes. Via social media and their public statements in the media, black professional athletes present themselves as court-appointed public defendants for career criminals. Showtime Sports podcast star and former NBA player Steven Jackson posted a video of himself bragging about hanging out with gangbangers on Old Block, an an infamous area on the south side of Chicago. It's not difficult to see what was influencing Miller in the wee hours of January 15th. Darius Miles, a little-used bench player, was the Steven Jackson of the Alabama basketball team. Miles had all the street cred. Miles kept his boy from the hood, Michael Davis, close. Miller responded to a text from Miles that initially asked for a ride to another location and then asked for Miller to deliver the handgun Miles left in the back of Miller's car earlier in the evening. When Miller arrived at the scene, Miles retrieved the handgun, gave it to his childhood friend Davis, who shot into a car Jamea Harris and her boyfriend occupied. Harris was killed. Within days, police arrested Miles and Davis for murder. Alabama immediately disassociated itself from Miles, who only played in six games this season. Brandon Miller kept playing basketball. This week, during a grand jury hearing, the public learned that Miller drove the gun to the scene. Prosecutors have stated there are no plans to charge Miller with a crime. He has been described as a cooperating witness, leading many people to wonder if he's receiving preferential treatment because he's a superstar athlete. Miller, Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates, school president, Stuart Bell, have all been vilified for taking no action against Brandon Miller. On Wednesday, a day after the public learned Miller's role in the tragedy, the freshman scored 41 points against South Carolina, sinking the game-winning shot. Oates has defended his decision not to discipline Miller, saying Miller's a good kid who was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Miller's lawyer put out a long statement explaining Miller's involvement in the tragedy. The entire incident is captured on videotape and allegedly supports the lawyer's narrative. The explanations might be difficult for some people to understand, but not for me. I believe Brandon Miller is a good kid. I believe we have placed good kids in a terrible predicament by forcing them to develop in a culture dedicated to undermining their development. Punishing Miller isn't the solution acknowledging and deconstructing the racially idolatrous culture that has captured America is what we need to do. Or maybe boys in the burbs is what we deserve. That's my fire. Did an entire show on this yesterday. Uh, Was able to do some more thinking and, and just wanted to put my Thoughts, you know, yesterday was totally unscripted. I want to put my thoughts in writing, narrow down and, and try to unpack this. I know I heard from many of you that got what I was saying yesterday, understood, gave you a new way to think about this Brandon Miller situation. I hope today's column monologue and, and further discussion helps you even more. You do not have to agree with me. I get that there are many of you that are just like, I just can't understand it. He should have done X, Y, and Z. He's not a good kid. A friend shouldn't have put him in that position. Many of the people that I'm hearing that from don't exist in this social pressure cooker that many young black boys do. They don't exist in this environment where the good kids from good families, the kids that just want to do right, in order to protect their black credibility, they have to be street. They have to adhere to the code of the streets. The Brandon Miller Alabama basketball saga makes me think of the movie Boys in the Hood. The 1991 coming-of-age story about three black boys growing up in South Central Los Angeles. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, Trey, lived with his father. Trey's two best friends, Ricky and Doughboy, lived with their single mother. Gangbangers shot and killed Ricky. Doughboy avenged his brother's murder, killing rival gang members. Trey originally attempted to participate in the revenge drive-by shooting but hopped out of the car and returned home to his father. The movie climax when Doughboy, played by rapper Ice Cube, complained that American media don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's really going on in the hood. The University of Alabama is not the hood. It's a sprawling, beautiful college campus in Tuscaloosa. But Doughboy's sentiment applies. Corporate media don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's really going on in American culture. The culture killed Jamaya Harris, the 25-year-old mother shot in the face after Brandon Miller drove a gun to the scene of a dispute between Harris's boyfriend and the childhood friend of Miller's teammate, Darius Miles the culture compelled Miller to make a terrible, tragic mistake. Corporate media, the music industry, Hollywood, ESPN, Fox Sports, and professional sports leagues have mainstreamed, normalized, celebrated, and imposed the gang culture depicted in the movie, Boys in the Hood on young people, particularly black youth. If you criticize the destructive and deadly culture prescribed to kids, You'll be treated worse than an anti-vaxxer. You'll be labeled a racist or a sellout. There's no mystery as to why Brandon Miller made the wrong choice on January 15. The culture demanded that he do so or face excommunication from the black race. Black young men have been have to be down for their boys or anything defined as black, regardless of right and wrong. It's the same reason not one black NFL player was willing to publicly question the authenticity of Colin Kaepernick's social justice kneeling. Racial solidarity trumped the truth. Everyone, including white players, coaches, and executives, took a knee rather than point out the obvious, that Kaepernick's confusion over his mixed-race heritage caused his radicalization. Groupthink is gangthink. Groupthink is a byproduct of extreme social pressure to conform to whatever has been normalized. The NFL platform, the primary propagandists, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, for gang culture during the 2022 Super Bowl. Hip-hop music is piped in to virtually every stadium, arena, practice facility, and weight room in college and pro sports. Brandon Miller, a good kid from a good family, succumbed to the culture. He did exactly what we're programming kids to do. Hate the police, don't turn to law enforcement to fix a problem, solve dangerous disputes with handguns amongst yourselves. Miller would be labeled a punk if he had called the police rather than acquiesce to Miles' request for a gun. Men don't stand up anymore. Brandon Miller is really no different from Jerry Jones, who in 2017 took a knee before the national anthem with his Cowboys players. Miller's no different than Roger Goodell and Adam Silver, the commissioners who splattered their fields, courts, and uniforms with the Marxist slogans of Black Lives Matter. Idolatry rules America. Racial idolatry is the culture's weapon of mass destruction. Corporate America and the Silicon Valley controlled social media algorithms forbid objection to whatever degeneracy is classified as black culture. Brandon Miller is a great kid from a great family. He's trapped in the destructive culture we created and continue to tolerate. We've been watching grown men fold, bow, and submit to this toxic culture for the last decade. Many of the journalists and broadcasters criticizing Miller had and have no problem worshiping at the altar of St. George Floyd. NFL owners have turned over millions of dollars to an inspired change criminal justice reform movement that demonizes law enforcement and formulates sob stories for career criminals. America is doing something wrong when the mistakes of criminals warrant an abundance of compassion and the errors of good people are unforgivable. What happened to Miller, the star of Alabama's second-ranked basketball team, makes perfect sense in modern American culture. The 6'9 freshman forward, a likely NBA lottery pick, followed the lead of professional athletes. Via social media and their public statements in the media, black professional athletes present themselves as court-appointed public defendants for career criminals. Showtime Sports podcast star and former NBA player Steven Jackson posted a video of himself bragging about hanging out with gangbangers on Old Block, an an infamous area on the south side of Chicago. It's not difficult to see what was influencing Miller in the wee hours of January 15th. Darius Miles, a little-used bench player, was the Steven Jackson of the Alabama basketball team. Miles had all the street cred. Miles kept his boy from the hood, Michael Davis, close. Miller responded to a text from Miles that initially asked for a ride to another location and then asked for Miller to deliver the handgun Miles left in the back of Miller's car earlier in the evening. When Miller arrived at the scene, Miles retrieved the handgun, gave it to his childhood friend Davis, who shot into a car Jamea Harris and her boyfriend occupied. Harris was killed. Within days, police arrested Miles and Davis for murder. Alabama immediately disassociated itself from Miles, who only played in six games this season. Brandon Miller kept playing basketball. This week, during a grand jury hearing, the public learned that Miller drove the gun to the scene. Prosecutors have stated there are no plans to charge Miller with a crime. He has been described as a cooperating witness, leading many people to wonder if he's receiving preferential treatment because he's a superstar athlete. Miller, Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates, school president, Stuart Bell, have all been vilified for taking no action against Brandon Miller. On Wednesday, a day after the public learned Miller's role in the tragedy, the freshman scored 41 points against South Carolina, sinking the game-winning shot. Oates has defended his decision not to discipline Miller, saying Miller's a good kid who was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Miller's lawyer put out a long statement explaining Miller's involvement in the tragedy the entire incident is captured on videotape and allegedly supports the lawyer's narrative. The explanations might be difficult for some people to understand, but not for me. I believe Brandon Miller is a good kid. I believe we have placed good kids in a terrible predicament by forcing them to develop in a culture dedicated to undermining their development. Punishing Miller isn't the solution. Acknowledging and deconstructing the racially idolatrous culture that has captured America is what we need to do. Or maybe boys in the burbs is what we deserve. That's my fire. Did an entire show on this yesterday. Uh, Was able to do some more thinking and, and just wanted to put my Thoughts, you know, yesterday was totally unscripted. I want to put my thoughts in writing, narrow down and, and try to unpack this. I know I heard from many of you that got what I was saying yesterday, understood, gave you a new way to think about this Brandon Miller situation. I hope today's column monologue and, and further discussion helps you even more. You do not have to agree with me. I get that there are many of you that are just like, I just can't understand it. He should have done X, Y, and Z. He's not a good kid. A friend shouldn't have put him in that position. Many of the people that I'm hearing that from don't exist in this social pressure cooker that many young black boys do. They're, they they do not exist in this environment where the good kids from good families, the kids that just want to do right in order to protect their black credibility, they have to be street. They have to adhere to the code of the streets. We, we just think of what the culture and the media have done in the last decade. Because I, I, people are like, well, your buddy texts you need a gun. You need to tell him to stop or whatever. And, and you would think, if my buddy was in jeopardy and he's calling me and I need a gun, the natural thing to do is like, I'm going to call the police. He needs the help of the police. But our entire corporate media structure and this culture, the pervasive rap that's thrust down the throat of kids thrust down the throat of athletes. Again, go to their practices, go to their weight rooms, go, go to the games and listen to the music that they're working out to and performing to and, and, and just immersed in. It tells them to hate the police. It tells them any disrespect must be met with violent force. I, 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 anybody that watches this show follows me know that, you know, I'm not a proponent of the victim culture, but I'm sorry. I I look at Brandon Miller and I feel sorry for him. I I, I do. I feel sorry for, I feel sorry for all these kids. That's again, it's why I do this show. It's why I left corporate TV. It's because I'm look at this world we're leaving for kids. Look at this culture we're leaving for kids and we're not men enough to do anything about it. And then we get upset when kids bow to this culture, the adults are bowing too. I'm not the only one that knew Kaepernick was full of SHI. Everybody knows it. You talk to these guys, many of them that were out there taking a knee and all just going along to get along with all this kneeling BS. They knew Kaepernick was full of spit. They know he was fake and phony. Everybody I know, anybody, these mixed race kids and their confusion and identity issues, easy to spot what's going on with Colin Kaepernick. But no one man enough to say, nah man, I ain't doing that. Kaepernick's gonna have to work that out on his own. He makes enough money to get a therapist. Instead, everybody in the sports world started taking knees and bowing down to Colin Kaepernick, and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And anytime you go to Twitter, people are are still worshiping this idiot who stood for nothing, other than building up his own legacy and taking money from Nike and getting on board with the message from China. Everybody is, again, you, you can sit there and say, oh, would I would never do what Brandon Miller would do. Y- y- yes, you would. Drew Brees made the mistake of trying to defend the national anthem, and the culture made him back down and apologize. Let's bring in uh, Shamika Michelle. Shamika, am I being too sympathetic Oh uh, hold, hold on before I go there, I, I have to have to say uh, looking at you and I've made an ice cube reference. I'm not, you show up today looking like Yo-yo. You remember Yo-yo the rapper? <laughs> ice cubes protege? I like that's I look at you and I'm like, oh, this is yo-yo. what a perfect. you look awesome uh, but you just reminded me of yo-yo. Uh, so anyway, I anyway, let me get back on track. Am I being too sympathetic towards Brandon Miller?
5: No, I don't think you're being sympathetic because I actually understand his position. And yes, when you feel like you have to be the the cool guy or the cool girl. You have to be down. You, You aren't the one that's gonna say, let me call the police. You know, we talked a year ago about my own incident of having a gun and my friend was with me. She, I remember her being upset because the bullet went right in front of her face. She knew I had a gun. She knew I had a gun before I even shot the gun, but she never spoke out or said anything. And we both came from decent homes where we weren't taught that that's the way that you solve conflict. But because of the lifestyle and the culture, you know, um, Dr. Dre had a song in the song. It goes, who's the man with the master plan? So that was the behavior that we had simply because. Of the culture. And so I do, um, you know, understand how you're sympathetic to Brandon. And I'm glad that he didn't get taken out by that situation the same way I'm glad I didn't get taken out by mine, just making a bad decision. You know, my friend made a bad decision. She went on to graduate with a, both a biology and a chemistry degree. What had happened to her? had I actually killed that girl, she would have been right there by my side going down with me, you know? So I I have some sympathy for him as well and just some understanding to to the situation or, you know, that he was in.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because yesterday when I told the story of my friend, Tim, who, at Ball State I mentioned he hops out. I'm thinking we're going to get in a little fight with some townies. He hops out with a Uzi and I'm like, "Holy cow." And and what I for, I've told the story previously, but I didn't when I told it this time, I didn't finish the story by like, "Tim is one of the greatest fathers that I know. Tim has raised 3 kids, all of them college educated and doing excellent. Tim Has been married for maybe 30 years now. Uh, This a deacon in his church. Tim's one of the great human beings that I've known in my life. He's not perfect. Uh, Let's keep it real. But he's a great human being. And he was, and we not only do we laugh, we actually thank God that we survived that situation. We've talked about it anytime and he's and he is part of his testimony of like I know there's a God I know he has a hedge around me because somehow I was in that mindset as a young person in reaction to having been shot himself and he survived that and, and other little just foolish situations so I, I, I'm, I just wanted to add that that I, I don't want to see Brandon Miller go down because this culture is so strong, and and you and I both, uh, you know, as younger people have been rap fans. I've been a rap fan, but I've always been critical. and And Ice Cube made a song once called "Gangsta Rap Made Me Do It," and it was it was very popular. and It mocked people like me who say, "Hey, man, we've created a culture in music and just culture in general." that baits kids into making the wrong decisions, and and there's this whole train of thought like, man, you can't blame rap music, you can't blame the culture, they're just weak. I, I completely d- reject that and say you can blame the culture. If, if we can be upset because Karen said the wrong thing at Walmart and, and say that that plays a role in systemic racism and harming black people. How are we gonna sit here and say this music that, that tells us and puts us in the mindset of meeting anything we consider disrespectful with violent force, how, how can we reject and say, oh, it, it plays no role in, in what's going on with young people?
5: Yeah, we like to lie, Jason, a lot you know, we don't wanna take accountability because if you listen to the music and you understand that most parents are not teaching black kids responsible gun ownership. So our understanding of what a gun is supposed to be used from, if we don't have those parents teaching us that, is coming from rap music. The idea that, you know, maybe you think a little bit that a gun will stop a bad guy, but from for the most part, you think the bad guy has the gun. So you want to be that bad guy. You want to be that tough guy. And all you know is what the rap has told you. If somebody disrespects you, you shoot them. If somebody tries to play you to the left, you shoot them. You kill them. You don't let nobody play. You know, play you like that. That's what we're learning about guns. And that's why I think, you know, uh, Marge Turay has the whole uh, Black Guns Matter. I like that because it actually teaches us something different. You know, Billy Bob learns how to, to shoot at five, but he's also taught the responsibleness around guns. You know, what exactly is used for, or even if they go hunting, that's not what we get in the Black community. When it comes to guns, our reference is, is gangster life. And that's just what it is. So if we lie and say, oh, you know, it's not in the music, it is because that's all we're giving our children. And when I compare myself to my own kids, because of the things that I had gone through in life, because of the things that I had dealt with trying to kill somebody, being robbed at gunpoint, my house being shot up, my house and car, someone being shot and dying in my backseat. Because of those things that I experienced, I wanted to give my own children a different experience because I understand if I don't teach them something, the music will teach them exactly what they, you know, the music wants them to think about guns. And I can remember my daughter that's in college now being at a high school party The uh, child's mom had gotten her a hotel room, you know, so they could hang out and party, and the parent was there. My daughter called me and said, Mom, come get me. And the reason she did was because one of the kids there had a gun. And he wasn't, you know, there was no altercation. He wasn't trying to argue. He just had the gun, you know, showing it off. But because she understood that probably he wasn't raised the same way, he doesn't know the the seriousness of having a gun or the safety that needs to come with having a gun. He wasn't legally able to carry a gun. She didn't want to be at that party anymore because she has a different understanding of guns. It's not cool to her. It's not something that she wants to hang around. She wasn't impressed by him showing off a gun. And so I, I see that example between my kids now and the way that I thought about things then. And it makes a big difference in, in in what's being taught to the kids and how they relate to guns and violence and having conflict resolution skills. It makes a big difference.
0: I'll end on a lighter note. Did you hear uh, Steve Kim, his take that like juice would have been a, the movie Juice would have been a better analogy than Boys in the Hood. Do you have an opinion on that one way or the other?
5: You know, I like the boys in the hood a little better simply because we know by statistics that boys raised by fathers only or kids raised by fathers only Turn out better than kids raised by mothers only. And that's exactly what was portrayed in the movie. Trey made a different decision because he had his dad to answer to, whereas, uh, you know, Ice Cube's character didn't. And we know that he retaliated against the boys that killed his brother in the movie, but at the end it lets you know Doughboy was killed a week later or something like that. So the mother lost Two weeks two
0: later. Years.
5: Yeah, the mother lost two kids, you know, with her upbringing skills, and Trey was still alive to go ahead and, you know, be successful. So I actually like that analogy because it shows the difference in parenting.
0: Thank you, Shamika. Have a great weekend. Don't play with my yo-yo. Email us (laughs) at show at gmail.com. Uh we'll get a little smarter. Delano Squires will get his take next. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Washington, D.C. Talk to the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Delano, uh I've given, I've spent the past two days giving my take on Brandon Miller and Mm. talking about the culture that is putting, I think, all of our kids and, 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 you know, I talked yesterday about Daryl Miller, his wife, Yolanda, and, and the son that they've raised that has this bright future. And, and I feel like the culture is swallowing up a good kid and, and I, I understand why Alabama's being sympathetic and, and taking a different approach with Brandon Miller than perhaps a lot of people want. And, and I think about you and your wife and raising your kids and them having to deal with a culture that defines blackness in a way that's very negative and very destructive. And, yeah. Am I being too sympathetic towards Brandon Miller and perhaps even his parents? Well, Jason, I think I think that's a separate
4: question, right? The 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 facts of this case, which, as you said yesterday, you know, we're still learning about. Um, you know, those things are going to come out, and we'll we'll get a, a clearer sense of what Brandon Miller's actual involvement was. But but assuming that it was what you what you said it was, or what you believe it is, um, I don't think you're being too sympathetic a, at all. Um, I think, and and let me say this: I think this conversation is why this show was called Fearless. Because this conversation is is the uncomfortable conversation that a lot of race scribes and talking heads do not want to have publicly. Because if we were being honest with ourselves, we would be able to admit exactly what you said, right? Like the, the culture, and when I think culture, I think that the air we breathe, that the water we're surrounded by, right? So you may be a person who does not smoke, um, who rides your bicycle to work. But if you live in San Francisco or or or, or Zhangjia province in China, where the air is so thick you could cut it with a knife because of smog, your personal habits can only take you but so far because your surrounding environment is what is really um, pumping the toxins into you. And I think in many respects, that's what we're talking about right now, where you could be, a black person, a, a husband and a wife raising your kids the right way, taking them to church every Sunday. But as soon as they step out of the door and they, and they walk down the street to the corner store or they get on the bus to head to high school or middle school, or even sometimes if, if they're, they're leaving church to go you know, get some candies or firecrackers after you know, these are personal experiences af- after church, you understand that your kids are coming into contact with people who do not share any beliefs with you, any values. And some of those communities are ones in which settling disputes with a gun is completely normal. And, and, and if we were being honest, the average black person in this country, particularly if you grew up in or around an urban environment, is at best two degrees separation, uh, two degrees of separation from the, the, your, your neighborhood street dude Either it's his cousin or one of his peers or one of the guys on his football team. But no matter how far many of us try to move out into the suburbs, um, there's an extent to which this culture, to your point, pulls us right back in. And even if you you say, I'm completely disconnected, I don't want to be around anyone who thinks this way, right? I may still live in an all-black neighborhood, but, but it's, not, it's, it's not infected with this particular virus. When your kids turn on the radio, when they turn on BET, when they pull up the root or the griot, when when they plug into any type of medium that is supposed to be speaking to and for the black community, here, here comes the smog and the dirty water again. So no, I, I think this is exactly the conversation to be having. I think a lot of young black men who keep their nose clean get sucked into a particular way of thinking because that's the dominant culture. No different, and if Jason, this is difficult to raise young black men in this culture as it would have been to raise a young Italian boy in in Canarsie, Brooklyn, in the 1950s, because even if his dad drives a a, a bus like um, in the Bronx Tale, the guys he lives on the block with, they run numbers, right? They they they're they're involved in in um, uh, you know drug running or or, or or Robin or whatever this is this is the theme of uh, almost any gangster flick um that looks at life in New York from a particular period of time right there's a pull and in and in the Bronx Tale, us exactly what what Robert De Niro's character the father the bus driver was trying to keep his son Colloregan out of out of that club where, where Sonny was running the block because he understood where that lifestyle led and even though he had to deal with disrespect f- from his son Ultimately, his way came on on top, because by the end of the movie, Sonny was dead, Collorgino, and Collorgino was back, you know, under the wing of his father. And, and that's, that is the life that many of our black boys have to live and deal with on a daily basis.
0: Let's go a cut deeper and, and say that the, the other thing that, that I think about constantly is for me growing up, the strongest pull I felt like I had was, don't piss off my father, don't disappoint mm. my father, don't disappoint my mother, please God, don't dis dis uh, embarrass my grandmother. It- it- it's it's these family people that I didn't want to let down, and I could only go so far before I was doing something that was going to make me go, oh man, my father's going to kill me for this, or my mother's, mm-hmm. gonna-. And-, and and so. We've now added, I feel like in these generations after me, there was a little of it back then, but now we've added this extra layer of Delano's kids may have to live up to what the culture has defined as blackness. Mm. And that will trump living up to the Squire's last name. Mm -hmm. There's no other ethnic group White kids don't have to live up to some standard of whiteness. They have to live up to the standards spelled out to them by their family or parents that raised them or whatever. But there is no expectation. Well, you, well, you ain't acting white enough and you need to do X, Y and Z to act white. There's just now your parents and family have spelled out these standards. Live up to that. And if you, you know you're and that's what this racial idolatry, and the framing of blackness as everything degenerate ha- mm-hmm. has, has done. And so here's, again, I, I so feel so much sympathy for Daryl and Yolanda Miller. They're pouring their life into their son. They send him off out of the nest uh, to Alabama. And, and the next thing you know, here's Darius Miles putting him in a position where if, if he doesn't, been to what Darius Miles wants. He's a sellout in the locker room. He ain't black. He's this or that. That burden we've placed on these kids to live up mm. to this black stereotype is what really just frustrates and bothers me.
4: I'm gonna do 100%, Jason. Right. We, we, you and I know just from last 15, 20 years of sort of watching where the culture has been moving, um, we have seen the the elef- elevation and glorification, commodification of violence between black men, disrespect and degradation from black men to black women. We have seen thug culture, gangster culture, uh, pimp culture, stripper culture all be elevated and given a platform and be and be rewarded, both financially and culturally w- within within our community. Right. We've we've seen that. In all that time, we have never heard any person who's pushed any of those things have their blackness questioned. No one has ever accused Lil Wayne of being a sellout. When Bishop Don Magic Juan used to traipse up the red carpet at the BET Awards, no one ever questioned his authenticity as a black man. But if somebody came in there and they talked and they spoke like Wayne Brady. Right, or even to some extent, Barack Obama, b- before he became president, then you start to say, "Oh, this person's not authentically black." So at a certain point, we have to we have to take a step back and do an, an inventory and reflection on how we see ourselves and ask ourselves, "Why do we only um, uh, frame unblackness?" as something that has to do with how a person speaks, their cadence, where they grew up. But you can push all different types of, of self-destructive culture and no one ever questions it. In fact, there was a, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, a documentarian, a guy named Byron Hurt. Um, the first doc that I saw him do was called Beyond Beats and Rhymes. This was like early 2000s. It was on hip-hop. Really good documentary. But he did another short that was called something to the effect of um uh, Curtis versus Obama, something to that effect. And he was exploring the notion that that the culture, broad, broadly speaking in America and within, particularly within our community, sees 50 Cent as a more authentic black man than Barack Obama. Um and I think his assessment is exactly right. Exactly right. So when he says that, you you get it. When Chappelle makes the jokes about Wayne Brady, you get it. When Bill Maher says, when I voted for a black president, I thought I was getting Shook Knight, but instead we got Wayne Brady, you get it. You understand what it is that, that they're trying to say. So yeah, th- this, is, th- this is the norm. And I think Jason, you and I talked maybe last week, and I, and I told you about my experience. You, you talked about your college experience and I had a similar one where you had a bunch of guys, mostly, mostly from the East Coast, New York, Philly, DC. And at a certain point, there would be conversations and it sounded like guys were trying to compete to see who came from the most violent neighborhood because if you if you really grew up in the murder capital, right? You from the murder cap. Yeah, I grew up in DC and Chocolate City in the 1990s. Yeah, that was the murder cap. Then it was like, oh, wow, this guy's real. He survived that. So there's there's a certain way in which there's a we compete for authenticity by trying to see who, is, who has lived um, in a more self-destructive neighborhood. And, and that's the thing that pulls suburbanites, the black kids who grew up in the suburbs, who, who, who never even seen a crown fried chicken, they have no understanding of that world. At best, they pass through on their way to grandma's house. That's what makes them cosplay as, as gangsters because that pressure is there. It's like a tide sucking people in um, to that particular type of lifestyle and mentality.
0: I, I, and part of, and again, I know I'm gonna get criticized for caping up for Brandon Miller and I, I've already seen people in my email and you know, but I look at other men and organizations and mature institutions mm. bend to these similar pressures. Because when I think about the NFL, booking, scheduling, platforming, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and 50 mm-hmm. Cent for Super Bowl mm-hmm. halftime. That's them bending to these same cultural norms that that. that and, and so it's like if the NFL will bend, I'm supposed to be surprised that a freshman in college bends. Mm. Every, everybody's has Jerry Jones went out there and took a knee. He don't believe in that crap. But he just did it to, well, if, if I don't, the blowback I'll get is too tough. And so yeah. here this kid is, in my view, and based on what his lawyer said and saying is captured on video, it's one in the morning. He's dropped the guy off earlier in the night at a nightclub and gone off and did his own thing. And he gets these texts at night to come pick me up at first, and then bring me my joint, which is his gun. And, and I think in this kid's mind, he's, he's sitting there, if I don't go, I'm gonna be called a coward and a mm-hmm. sellout. If I think my boy is in trouble and I call the police, I'm really gonna be called a coward and a sellout. And so he's trying to split the middle. I'm just going to drive up there, and if this guy grabs this thing out of, my, out of the car, that's on him, blah, blah. And it's easy for people that don't have these pressures to, to say, oh, I know I wouldn't have done that at 19 or 20. Yeah, you wouldn't, because and in particular, if I'm some white person or Asian person say, yeah, you're not under the same pressure as these kids. Right. You, you, you don't have to exist in that environment that Brandon Miller does. Because the thing that's funny is this Darius Miles is a scrub, you know, <laughs> but he's older and he's got that mm-hmm. street credibility. He's from D.C. Mm-hmm. Pookie or Michael Davis or whoever he, is from Maryland. They you know, this kid is from basically Nashville, Tennessee. It's a totally different deal. And right. two Parents. But but people can't understand the dynamic of of two parent kids, man. They catch heat for having two parents. Yes, yes. I mean, yes. It's, it's yes. Crazy. It's
4: I, mean <laughs> I mean. So 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 let me say this because I heard I listened to the show yesterday, and if it is true that the firearm was legally registered um, to, yeah. to 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 Darius Miles, then. I mean, uh, Brandon Miller would be, I mean, somebody says, hey, I need you to bring me the property that I legally own. I don't expect him to say, oh, no, I can't do that. He's going to say, okay, I'll stop by. And, and And if he knew it was in there, it behooves him to get that gun out of his car. Because if he's pulled over by the police, he has no paperwork for that. And I don't know if Alabama may be constitutional carry, so you may not need paperwork for a handgun. So uh, if 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 that's if if those basic facts are what actually transpired, then I'm I'm not going to hang a murder on him. But but again, to to, to the larger point that you made, these institutions, the ones that put up um, uh, end racism, Black Lives Matter, right? Uh, love us, hug us, uh, shower us with quick kisses, right? It's like a Jerry Seinfeld episode. These institutions are complete are complete cowards too. Because Roger Goodell does not have the testicular fortitude to stand up and say to to his upper level administration, the Troy Vincent of the the world, to DeMaurice Smith and to the players. Look, guys, I am not signing off on any uh, artwork, artists, music, culture that is promoting death and destruction in the cities in which we play. I know I'm an old white guy. But north is north. And I care about y'all enough to not promote something to you and your families that I would not promote to mine. Because, you know, when Roger Goodell goes out on his boat in the Hamptons or Martha's Vineyard or Mykonos or wherever he chooses to vacation, he is not playing 21 Savage and, and his daughters are not twerking on the side of the yacht. You and I both know that. But these guys are complete cowards. They're weak need. They get a lot of money, but they're weak need. And, and and I and I get it's hard for him, but but to your point, it's it's hard for black folk too. If they had a black commissioner, he would be under just as much pressure. Sometimes he may be under more pressure. So what I'm saying is, I don't believe any of these leagues when they say that they they care about black lives. And the point I've made this before, and some people may think it's controversial, but in in our culture. It is more controversial for a black person to say, I respect Jewish people for their business acumen. than it is for black persons to say, I'm a grab my nine and I'm a I'm a bust a cap in this N word. The first message will get you canceled. We'll have Jamel Hill and Jesse Washington and Jason Reed and Bill and Bill Roden writing on on uh, Anscape and saying, oh, we have issues between these two communities. The second message will get you platform at the Super Bowl. And then we we turn around and wonder why we get so much more of, of the second, right? We're reaping greater and we're reaping later. Because every institution in this country, all the companies, all the big tech companies, the professional sports leagues are in bed with these artists. And it's the hardest thing to get them out of bed. But again, they don't promote it in their own neighborhoods. So so there are a lot of people who need to come up for for an accountability check because this is what they're pumping into the heads of our young people, of the players, of the staff, and it's complete garbage. But you're not going to hear that on ESPN because in order to speak this message, a lot of black folk are going to have bread taken out of their mouths. And nobody wants to do that. And at the end of the day, the revolution has been corporatized and the money that most of these people care about the most is green.
0: As a Christian, I'm conflicted over a thought that I expressed in, in my mono and in my column. But I'm conflicted, but I, I wrote it, and so I know which way I'm leaning. But, but we've constructed a culture where we have more compassion for George Floyd and other career criminals than we do for a Brandon Miller, someone who's done things the right way most of his life, or other than this instance, we don't know anything bad, and I'll take everybody's word that this is a great kid. We have more compassion for criminals, and our professional athletes are are super worried about what they can do for criminal justice reform to ease up things on criminals. And, and a kid will make a mistake, and we're, the culture's unforgiving. And Brandon Miller needs to be suspended, and then let, let alone what's happening to white kids a white kid tweets out some rap lyrics he's getting scholarships pulled and he's being you know made a social pariah Uh, we we, again we have more compassion for criminals than young kids Mm -hmm. this culture is is just gone crazy but i think you hit the nail on
4: the head in terms of where you started right because when you detach your understanding of morality from a biblical framework, right? When 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 you pull it up out of that root, you shouldn't be surprised when you end up head over heels, because you're right. In in particularly in in the broader left, and as particularly in our community, um, the people who are seen as the true victims of society are criminals, and this is why every time, um, the few times that that you know this type of criminal activity rises to to the level of national attention. Um, the justifications for why a person did something are always systemic in nature. Oh, they closed down the schools, the rec centers are not open uh, long enough, the disinvestment in the community, so on and so on and so forth, because these people hate the idea that black folks have agency. For them, it is it is always someone else's fault, it's always historic oppression, it's, it's always um, the residual effects of segregation. And that's, that's why I've said before, you, you really can't tell a difference between the worldview of the 1820 slave master and the 2020s NPR listener, whether black or white liberal. Neither of them had a particularly high view of black humanity. For one person, it was the, the Negro's inferior because of his genes, it's, 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 it's in his blood. He has no choice but to be uh, avaricious and, and a sexual predator and uh, e- either a violent buck or, or a loose sapphire. But when you roll f- forward 100 years, for these people it's we have no choice because it's all about systems, it's all about institutions, it's all about our surrounding, right? And, and obviously we, we, the point we're making is about the culture. So I'm not saying that culture doesn't have an influence. I'm saying that it is not strictly determinative, right? People have choice, they have agency. But to them, as a people, we're just melanated blobs of chaos, pushed to and fro right by, by the hands of history and, and, and our current oppression. And that's something that I think that, that we need to reject um, outright. Because you, you can't, we, we will never be men. We will, we will not have a community with this particular type of mindset. Black people will live in neighborhoods in 30 years, but we won't have a community and we won't have any men because the one thing that separates a man from a boy is responsibility. But every time we we talk about these these types of instances, the first move of the left is to always pull responsibility out. And, And that is why they see George Floyd as the ultimate victim. It's about all these forces that conspired to 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 kill him and they don't see Brandon Miller, and, and again, let me let me go a cut deeper, they, they don't even see the, the, the woman who was killed really as a true victim. Even, Jason, when you listen to the way that this issue is framed, the left loves to talk about criminal justice, whereas I, I put my emphasis on public safety. The first word of each of those phrases will tell you who a person feels is, is the primary uh, uh, client that needs to be addressed. For the left, it is always the criminal, always the criminal, and even on instances where they try to 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 uh, you know give uh, conservatives a moral lecture, right? When it comes to abortion, they'll say, "Oh, well, what about rape and incest?" And I say, "Okay, I, I, rape is a terrible, horrible crime." Do you agree with me that we should execute rapists? Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't go that far. Because to them, I've literally seen them, Jason, sign petitions to try to get rapists off a of death row. That That is the modern left today. They are a pro-criminal enterprise. And between the, the, the criminals and the people who are confused about God's natural order, the left would completely remake Silence of the Lambs. Buffalo Bill would be a sympathetic figure because he didn't have access to gender-affirming, quote-unquote, surgery as a young person. And Hannibal Lecter, who will be recast as a person of color, he would, be, uh, uh, he would, he would have his sentence commuted and be put over the, the new president's criminal justice reform because to them, the criminal is the ultimate victim and people like us, the law-abiding, are part of the larger white supremacist superstructure.
0: Lano, have a great weekend. Uh, great Thank thoughts. Jason. Great job. I, I really love the, I'll be marinating on the criminal justice versus public safety. I know you've said it before, but it really hit home with me today. Uh, great stuff. Listen, I need the likes up to 2,000. Let's go. You're part of this fearless army. Let's hit that like button. It's a great way to spread our message, increase the popularity of our show. Uh, Stick around, Royce White, he'll have the final say on all this. Let's go deep here with Royce White. Perfect guy to give the final say on this. He was a great basketball player, prospect like Brandon Miller at one point. Knows, obviously understands locker room dynamics as well as anybody. Uh, Royce, uh, I've argued today that uh, Brandon Miller is, is a victim of a culture that. pushes uh, young black men to make the wrong decisions, and that uh, perhaps Brandon Miller, coming from a great two-parent family and being more of a Huxtable-like kid, mm-hmm. bowed to pressure from a Darius Miles, who is the stereotypical street kid athlete that you know had plenty of street cred, and, and that Brandon Miller's caught between a rock and a hard place and made a bad decision. Just, just your reaction to, am I right in, in thinking that sometimes the kids from the more idyllic background have, have a tougher time negotiating the street and hip-hop culture politics that many young black kids are faced with? Peer pressure, yeah.
6: Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something to be said for being green. You know what I mean, and, and never having been off the porch before. Um, I, I think I think there's a cultural narrative painted about about the streets and about um, being from the neighborhood. I, I, look, I come from the before ever being an all-American basketball player, or one of the best, uh, one of the best in the country at, at the time that I played. I came from the streets, and 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 there are two types of um, psychological profiles in the streets or in the neighborhood some people are looking to and i've said this before i think but some people are looking to bend the rules in a rigged system they understand the system is rigged and and they've made a decision that they're not going to play along with that rigged system that they're going to play by their own set of rules um i think the american mafia and other criminal organizations uh were were a great example of that historically And, and 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 i've said to you on the show before also that when your government steals everybody steals so there, but there are two types of profiles in in the neighborhood, especially where I grew up. You had your people who were, who were towing the line of trying to bend the rules for for some business purpose, some economic gain, some capital gain, which is a a lack of moral clarity and character. But then there are psychopaths, and and our 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 culture today, as I've grown up from being a young kid and a young athlete to where I am now as a grown man. Um, the hip hop culture and our culture in black communities have, has become explicitly psychopathic uh, and it maps onto the rest of society. It, it really does. You see a, an increasing amount of, of uh, psychopathy and a sort of uh, derangement and lack of true lack of uh, decision making in real time. And, and I think if you don't come from that era, number one, an era like mine, even where there was a last remnant of sanity and, and your era for sure, where some of the guys who were in the streets had had some sacred honor left. Um, if you don't come from from those time periods or if you don't come from a neighborhood where your elders instilled certain values in you, yes, you're surely going to be uh, easily co-opted by people who are uh, nefarious and, and psychopathic the, the, that I would agree with that.
0: Do you, and, and I'm perfectly fine if, if you think so, do you think I'm being too sympathetic towards Brandon Miller? No, I mean, it,
6: look, no, I, don't, I don't think you're necessarily being sympathetic enough. I agree with you 100%. Because, let, let's take it a step further than then the obvious he came to peer pressure. In this country, we um, tend to encounter death our encounter of death seems to, to bring about a, a, a it, it tends to show our lack of faith, our lack of faith in our constitution and our lack of faith in Christ. And, and I'll, I'll explain how. Um, people are going to die in society. And not only are people going to die, people are going to be murdered in society. There's no, there's no getting around that. What tends to happen, what you tend to see is that as we become disconnected, as we become... Um, Um, What do you want to call it? I would say uh, coddled as a society, given everything we need. We respond to death and murder in a way that is um, an overreaction. And and let me be clear. This this woman being murdered the way that she was in this whole situation, in these situations that we see writ large in America with black people, but but all people, these people are degenerate. They're psychopaths. They have no moral character. They have no moral clarity. They have no faith. They have no God in their life. And that's clear by their actions. And I, and I feel terrible that this woman was, was shot in the head and she had a, 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 a child. And and the whole thing is just complete nonsense and, and un, unacceptable and unnecessary. And, and I hear about it all the time in my own neighborhood here in Minneapolis or, or in St. Paul. But let's be clear, we can never allow these individual situations prompt us to sign over our security to a super state. And that's what we often dance around. That's what we often approach when these situations happen, right? And, and, and that's, you know, let's get more police. No, we don't need police. We don't need more law and order. The, the people. We, the citizens, we, the people, are not below the law. Nobody's above it, but we're certainly not below it. And we, we, we teeter on placing ourselves below the law when we allow our fear to beg the system for security. The system cannot secure your safety and it cannot secure your freedom. You must do that on your own. And, and, and the cultural decay, the moral decay, will certainly, certainly give us tragic outcomes. But there's an even more pernicious and tragic outcome out there for us. So I think, you know, what this kid did was silly. He should have had more maturity, he should have asked questions. But ultimately, he's not to blame. He's not to blame. You, we cannot surrender the, the desire for security, for free will. I'm not responsible for what you do in, 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 in totality. You are. You at home, you're responsible for what you do. As soon as you start to say that everybody else is responsible, absolutely, for the things you do, you, you set the stage for the, the state to take over and, and take away the free will and the freedom of all of us.
0: I think I'm going to follow up on what you just said, because I, I, Shamika said something that made me think of you, and, and just in terms of like culturally, the difference between Black and white culture and guns. And yeah. you know, moving down here to the south the way that I have, I, I'm aware of like how uh, white families they teach their kids about gun use and gun laws and the proper use of guns and what they're there for and how to hunt with them and blah blah. but, but they even go a step further that I think we have, virtually no understanding of I'm talking about black people the second amendment and what it represents and 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 how that's the that gun ownership is the 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 the, the second amendment is the thing that stamps us the people as more important than the government and 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 I don't think in the black community we understand that. Shamika was talking about, you know, like when we think of guns, we think of. Protecting ourselves from the bad guys or being a bad guy with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And, And we don't we don't attach any significance to guns, to. Our independence, our freedom, the protection of individual rights and and. And that disconnect is why all, it seems like all we can think to do with a gun is shoot each other. And, and we never think of it like, hey, no, this is here to protect me from a government that will destroy me and take away all of my freedoms. And that's what a gun is really about. It's not about shooting my next door neighbor or the guy the block over that disrespected me in traffic or at the grocery store.
6: Well, you're 100 percent right. And, and, and I'll take it even a step further. And I think this is what your show is aimed to do. And I think that the criticism of you from the black community is really is really a. a, a an ugly level of cowardice. Right. And, and not just you, but any of these black conservative voices who line up more with the true Republican ethos in this country, because there is a rhino ethos. But then there's a true Republican American ethos. But all of the black people who, uh, who line up with that, who. Advocate for the Second Amendment or defend the Second Amendment run into a similar backlash from an, a feminized or a very f- feminized uh, black pop culture that is that is taken over and, and uh, run out in front for the entire American popular culture. Uh, that's why you have Rihanna. That's why you have all, uh, Michelle Obama, Kamala. You know, take take your pick. All of them are going to fall along the same lines on these political issues. Um, it's not just that. It's not just that we don't understand the Second Amendment. In in a cultural way, our relationship to guns in this country in the Second Amendment has been subsidized by the very people who profit from us killing each other. And in that way, Kanye West was more profound than anybody wanted to give credit to. And black people not opting to give credit to him wasn't because we were disgusted with the other things he was saying. We didn't want to have to acknowledge the fact that our circumstance in this country that has many powerful white people, Jewish people, Black people, all kinds of people, the CCP, Chinese, is a subsidization of, of, our, of our tragedy. All of these people would love to use this woman being killed as a, as a justification to, to take gun rights away and say that we have a gun issue in this country. And we do have a gun issue in this country, but we have a people issue in this country. And no, no there, there is an argument that you could make that many Second Amendment advocates make that we should be able to scale up in our scope of armament as citizens, especially when a sitting president tells the American people in a very casual and joking manner, if you want to fight a tyrannical government, you're going to need F-16s. The threat is there and the threat is always there. And those of us who have been subsidized to have this gang like relationship to guns have also been subsidized to think that our American citizenship is nothing more than a remnant of racism because we are already wards of the state. So we've accepted that the state is tyrannical. Our idea of being an American or being free is to operate within the framework of being wards of the state. Those of us black folks who are American first and understand American citizenship and what it really stands for. We don't want to be operating within the uh, award of the state framework. We want to be genuinely free. That's described in our Constitution.
0: Royce, I got to go, but I do want you to uh, plug your new show uh, before we let you go. And then we'll go get off into our weekend.
6: Yeah, I appreciate it. Please call me crazy. Aaron tonight at, at nine p.m. East, uh, nine PM Central on YouTube. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Royce. Have a great weekend. Uh we'll see you tomorrow.
5: I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been on our break. Up my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all when We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want. I wanna be. I just want. I wanna be. I just want. I wanna be. I just. Want, I wanna be. I just Wow!